This is a five-week month, so I get to preach twice in a row. And I have been talking to you the last several weeks about truth and what truth is. So I figured I was going to talk about something else, but I got dragged back into it. Every time I think I'm free of it, he drags me right back in. Several things going on in today's Torah portion and something that I was reading during the week. It's traditional on Yom Kippur to read the book of Jonah. And one of the things that Kay said to me last night as I was thrashing around is Jonah's father's name is Amitai. Amitai means truth. Then we have Psalm 12. And Psalm 12 says in verse 2, Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us? And again, what that's talking about is people who don't tell the truth. I was reading something entirely different, and I came across an article by a guy named Nikifor Kranich. He was a Romanian. He was born in 1889, died in 1972, and he wrote an article in Romanian, which somebody graciously translated into English for me, on children, the state, and the church. And that's where I'm going to actually spend most of my time, but it has a great deal to do with telling the truth. Now, last time, as those of you who were here remember, I gave you a couple of definitions, and we're going to stick with those. Truth is that information which matches reality. And then reality, which is the harder part, is that which is independent of what anybody thinks about it. So if your opinion changes something, it's not real. If it doesn't matter what anybody thinks about it, then it is real. Very, very simple stuff. Now, everybody desperately wants to know the truth. Look at pop music. I'm older than most of you. I can remember back in the 70s and so forth where everybody's saying, Oh, don't lie to me. I just want the truth. I want truth in this relationship. I want to know the truth, etc., etc. So everybody really wants to know the truth. Or perhaps something different. They want to be able confidently to assert that what they believe is true. Those are not quite the same thing. So what they're saying is, we want to know the truth, but what most of them really mean is, we want to be able to assert with confidence that the thing we believe is true. It, it's sort of like a joke Bill Cosby used to tell. Your wife doesn't really want your opinion. What she wants is her opinion in a deeper voice. A joke, but it's indicative of what's going on. They say they want the truth, but what they really want is their opinion in somebody else's voice. So... Having said all that, this guy, Cranick, wrote this article in 1939. And for those of you who know your history, 1939 is on the eve of the Second World War. The Second World War really got kicked off in 1939 with the German invasion of Poland and so forth. And what he's talking about is the state's assertion that it owns your children. And he's writing about that in the 20th century because the 20th century is full of isms, all of which assert ownership over you. So you got communism, you got Nazism, you got socialism, you know, all these isms that came up at the end of the 19th century and sort of had their flowering in the 20th century. 
and all of them essentially assert ownership over your children. And obviously there are several reasons for that. The first reason, of course, is people our age who have grown up thinking other things are really hard to mold because we have years and years of Sunday school, years and years of teaching and so forth. So when they come in with all their lies, we can compare their lies to things that we know about God and about other things. So we're a little bit difficult, but if we can get the children and we can educate them from the beginning so that they don't hear these lies, then when they grow up, they will be good Nazis, good socialists, whatever ism it is, because they have been trained and haven't learned all this other stuff and they don't have any way of refuting the lies that we are telling them. The second reason they want your children is our next door neighbors, charming people. They're in their mid-thirties I would guess, couple with no children and no intention to have children. They just finished a two-week bicycling vacation in Slovenia they are back and they rode by on their bicycles and wave, very charming. But they don't intend to breed. So what they are implicitly assuming is somebody else's children are going to take care of them when they are too old to do it themselves. Now, I'm not speaking about people who are childless for whatever reason, but there is a pathology, especially in our culture right now, and especially in Europe, where People are not breeding. In fact, that's the reason why Germany and these countries are inviting all of these Muslim migrants in. They need somebody to keep the welfare state running so that as their population ages and they haven't had children, they have somebody that's going to keep the factories going, run the nursing homes and all that kind of stuff. And unfortunately, what they're bringing in are people who are looking upon them as prey. They're thinking of them as resources that we can bring in so that our state will continue and so forth, but the people they're bringing in are looking at them as prey. And one of the things that you see in Europe nowadays is that, in fact, the migrants are preying on the population. Look at our society. One of the things that everybody sort of mocks is the snowflake generation. Well, the snowflake generation has grown up in state schools and they have been indoctrinated with a different worldview and as they come of age and they start running into a worldview that contrasts with their own they're getting angry and they're rioting and they're saying wait a minute you can't say that they won't let you speak on campus if you're conservative it's what's called the heckler's veto and they will riot and throw you off campus because they don't want to hear something that contradicts their version of the truth. And it's a version of the truth that they have been given since they were little children and they have grown up in it and it's very congenial to them. So, what Cranick asserts is that the church, God's kingdom, is in conflict with the state. And their conflict is over who owns the children. And what are you going to do about that? One of the things about all of these isms that grew up in the 20th century is they're essentially atheistic. They don't believe that there's anything beyond this. So what they're doing is trying to optimize this for 
themselves, the people who are in power. And liberals believe in child sacrifice, so what they will do is they will consume other people's children in order to make this work. That's, by the way, what's going on with student loans, where you have children who come out of college with so much debt. Liberals run college. Liberals believe in child sacrifice. They are eating other people's children to maintain their own lifestyle. That's not the way they'll say it, but that's what's going on. The church, on the other hand, has a different view of children. There's a conflict here. Let me read this. Culture being the state and religion have different arcs. In culture, the child is regarded as ignorant, needing to be formed. So you send your little kid into preschool, and then from preschool they go into kindergarten, and like little eggs in a crate, they move along as a pod, and by the time that they have graduated from college, they're snowflakes. So from the culture's perspective, the children is regarded as ignorant, and they need to be formed. In religion, the child is regarded as an innocent image of God. So before the world gets a hold of him, what you have is, in religion's perspective, a perfect image of God. And it's very likely going to get messed up, and the kid is going to get worse as he goes through life. And at the end of his life, he will be something else than a beautiful child of God. So religion and the state have very different views of children. And... What Crank is talking about is if you let the state assert ownership over your children, what's going to happen is you're going to turn your child into a resource that's going to be lost forever. The question that I sort of asked as I thought about this is God loves people. He made lots of us. He must like us, right? God loves people. And you could think that, well, okay, you have this newborn baby which is as close to the perfect image of God as most of us are ever going to get in our lives, and why would you mess that up? Well, the problem is a baby has no fruit. In order for the child to bear more children, give God more of the people that he wants, they have to grow up. They cannot remain in that state of pure innocence. So we have a problem. We issue them from their mother as innocent images of God, and then the world takes them and corrupts them, so what are we going to do about that? It's not a simple problem. So I'm going to dip into computer speak here for just a second. As everybody knows, I'm a computer guy. Everybody understands the difference between hardware and software. Hardware is the stuff you can hold in your hand. That's the box, if you will, and all the power supplies and the screen and all that nonsense. Software are the programs that are put together to make it do something useful. So you have this innocent computer sitting there, and you load Microsoft Windows on it, and you corrupt it forever. Teasing. But the hardware will run Windows, it'll run Linux, it'll run Apple. So the software is stuff that's put on top. In the middle, you've got what's called firmware. And what firmware is, is stuff that is loaded onto the computer before the operating system shows up. So when you push the power button, the fan has to come on. And if you have a spinning hard disk, it has to boot up. All that kind of stuff is in firmware. It isn't affected by the operating system, so on top of that you can load Windows or you can load Apple or you can load Linux or whatever you want to load, but that stuff in the middle is not really ever changed 
I mean, you can do upgrades, what most people never do. They trade in a computer before they ever upgrade their firmware. So what is the human equivalent of firmware that God has put into human beings in order to give you a chance of resisting the world? You've got a conscience. At some level, when things happen, everybody in the world says, wait a minute, that's not right. And that's your conscience. And what I'm suggesting to you is that's firmware that God has put into you on top of the hardware but below the software. And everybody comes with pretty much the same firmware. Everybody has a conscience. Now, that conscience can be overridden. That conscience can be educated out of you and so forth. But everybody comes with that. And that's what God gives you in order to give you a fighting chance as you come out of your mother the image of God in all innocence, and you go into this world where the operating principle is lies. And so what God does is he issues you with a conscience, firmware. And that's very hard to change. It can be. So now let's go to Yeshua. And this, by the way, shows up in all the synoptic gospels. I'm going to read it out of Mark. And I'm reading Mark 10:13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked him. But when Yeshua saw it, he was indignant and said to him, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now everybody can quote that, but I will guarantee you that if you think about it, you don't know what it means. I didn't, and I'm still not sure I do. But Yeshua sort of tosses these things off and heard them ever since we were children. It's just sort of, okay, yeah, sure, come as a child. What's that mean and how do you do it? And the point Krennic was making is the whole point of human existence is to get yourself back to the place where you are as innocent as you were when you were born. And I will give you a quote. Everybody know who Isaac Newton was? Yeah, the guy with the apple. Isaac Newton is probably one of the most high-powered intellects ever to grace the planet. Every generation has them. He was one. I mean, he absolutely brilliant man. He was also an avid biblical scholar. And one of the things that he said, which I just love, I do not know what I may appear to the world... But to myself, I seem to have been only like a boy playing on the seashore and diverting myself now and then in finding a smoother pebble or a prettier shell than ordinary, while the great ocean of truth lay all undiscovered before me. This is probably one of the greatest mathematicians that has ever lived, one of the greatest scientists that has ever lived. And his attitude at the end of his life, and by the way, it was a life devoted to the study of Scripture in addition to all the other stuff he did. He says, I haven't even touched the ocean. There is still all that out there that I don't understand, and I really have no hope of understanding it this side of eternity. I will suggest to you that Isaac Newton came into the kingdom like a child. He wasn't bringing to God, look at all I've accomplished. Oh, I'm pretty hot stuff. I mean, look at me. 
I've been knighted and I've discovered all this stuff and I've explained the inverse square law and all that. Look at me. That's not his attitude at the end of his life. His attitude is, wow, I've only scratched the surface. And I will suggest to you that when Yeshua says that you have got to come to me like a child, he's talking about that kind of an attitude. Whereas you look at the creation, which is all we can see, and you recognize that we are only children picking up pretty pebbles on the seashore compared to what's available. Now, what the world will do is the world will try and move you off of that attitude or prevent you from ever finding that attitude. Because what the world will do will be complicate things. And they will try and sell you pretty lies. They will try and sell you lies that, oh yeah, you don't need to worry about having children. The state's going to take care of you. And what they don't want you to see is where that attitude leads, which is to extinction and death. That's what Europe is doing to itself right now. They are going into extinction and death because they have bought the lie that somebody else is going to take care of you and you don't have to provide for yourself the way God designed for you to be provided for, which is to say, have children, nurture those children, take care of them, grow them up, and in your old age, they then return the favor. That's the way God designed it to happen. He didn't design it for you to consume your children and treat them as resources, I guess, And what our society has done, and what the European society has done, and what Chinese society has all done, is they have bought into a lie. Which is to say, this is all there is. Go ahead and consume what's there, because nothing matters after you. That's the attitude. And that's wrong. That's evil. That's sinful. And so when God says, I'm going to give you children... Watch your children, because as you watch your children growing up, you will learn something about how you want to end up. Everybody's had a two-year-old, and we all understand that. This idea of perfect innocence has got some flaws in it, because if you've ever seen a two-year-old, you know that they're not perfectly innocent. But the point is, the whole world is new. Our latest grandson, Philip, he doesn't snuggle. You know, you pick up a kid and they sort of snuggle up again. This kid doesn't do that. He's looking around wanting to see everything. Because the world is new. It's wonderful. It's, wow, look at that. I mean, he doesn't necessarily understand what that is at this point. But what he does understand is, wow, there's a whole world out there and I want to see it all. And that's good. And at the end of his life, it's my prayer that he will be able to say, like Newton said, I have maintained that wonder of being a child as I am playing in the creation that God has put me in, and I'm going to maintain that attitude all the days of my life, and at the end, I'm going to see that this next stage of my life is where I step in and I learn all the more about all of this that God has put together. That's what it means to enter the kingdom of God as a child. And at the end of it, understand that your job as parents and grandparents is to protect the innocence of your children 
from the state that wants to consume them.